The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S. Experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com. Welcome to Off the Page, a weekly podcast produced by the Comox Valley Record. I'm Erin Halschuk, a journalist with The Record. Join me as we take a deeper look into the people and stories within the Comox Valley. On the podcast today, we are welcoming back our gardening expert, writer, educator, and record columnist, Leslie Cox, otherwise known as the Duchess of Dirt. Leslie was a guest on our podcast a few episodes back, and she returns today for a special episode where she's answering listeners' questions about all things gardening and getting the garden ready for spring. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thanks, Erin. Thank you for asking me back. So let's start with, we've got a couple of questions from listeners about this particularly, and it's something that everybody can relate to. This cool, long spring that we're getting, people are wondering, when is it a good time to really start planting? And are there certain vegetables, certain flowers that can be planted right now? That's a really good question, because it's certainly not a very typical year weather-wise. It depends on which vegetables and which plants that you've got that you want to put in the ground. Good to go right now are cool season vegetables. So that means your lettuce, your spinach, your Swiss chard, peas, members of the brassica family like cabbage and cauliflower, broccoli, onions and leeks can go in now. Be careful because if you've had them indoors or, you know, started your own seeds indoors, they need to be hardened off first before they can go in the ground. You have to set them outside for four days, five, six days, and you start off with putting them out for a couple of hours, two or three hours, out of direct sun, away from a stiff or fierce wind, and then bring them in again. And every day you increase the time a little bit more till you can leave them out all day. So as long as the temperature is not showing any frost overnight, Once they're hardened off, they can go out. Warm season crops and plants like your peppers and your tomatoes, cucumbers, melons, that kind of thing, way too cold to get them out yet. They want to have reliably 10 degrees Celsius night temperatures. As for horticultural plants, same thing. Any plant that is hardy to zone seven or colder can go out now. Anything that's zone eight or nine If you uh, push your envelope into the more tropical type plants, then you uh, want to hold off on putting them out too. Okay, so we have a question from Lee in Comox who was wondering, what are some of the best plants or flowers to attract pollinators? Yeah, and that's a really good question. We noticed out here anyways, because we have a couple of uh, properties that have beehives that within flying range. Back in March, when we had decently warm weather, we saw quite a few bumblebees, which are usually the first ones that come out. Lately, we have not seen many bees at all. And we have quite an accumulation of good plants that attract. One of the best early flowering ones that we have in our garden is called hepatica, or commonly called liverleaf. Every time I walked past that plant, 
when it was in flower, there was a honeybee in it, at least one. Right now, there's not many bees, but any plant in the mint family seems to be good at attracting. Oregano is really good. That one, when it's in flower, is always full of bees. Milky bellflower or campanula, they attract bees. A good one, which is not really maybe so common, is called sea holly. That one puts on kind of like a thistle type top flower. And quite often there'll be four or six bees in one one flower. Sunflowers, of course, are good for attracting bees. Crocosmia. And of course, that's a good hummingbird attractor too. Honeysuckle is another nice attractor for hummingbirds and bees. Pineapple lily, which is one of the tropical plants that we grow that has a real, looks like a real pineapple when it's in flower. And our native ones, flowering currant and flowering quince, they both bring in bees. Jennifer in Campbell River is wondering why in past years her tomatoes have black spots and cracks on them and what she can do to prevent them from happening again. This is a really good example of where your soil pH as well as the nutrients in your soil play a very important part and probably of most importance is soil pH especially with calcium and well with all of them actually all the the, uh, nutrient minerals in the soil when the soil pH is not right for that particular plant for instance speaking about tomatoes they like their pH pretty much neutral so around 6.5 to 7 on the pH scale and if it's below that it locks up the calcium in the soil making it inaccessible to the tomatoes, which is why they produce that blossom end rod. To get around that, it's a good idea to use lime. Your dolomite lime is calcium carbonate, which is a little slower acting. Then you've got your agricultural lime, which is calcium nitrate. It breaks down a little bit faster. When you go to put your tomatoes in, when you're doing your planting hole, whether it's out in the garden or in the greenhouse, put in your soil amendment and all you need is just a little tablespoon, maybe you know two to four tablespoons and scratch it all in. And then it's there for the plant and it will adjust the pH and allow the calcium to come up into the plant. Another common problem with that causes blossom end rot is irregular water. Tomatoes really, really need regular water schedule, and they need actually an inch to an inch and a half of water every week. So space it out. If you can put in a timer system, that works really, really well. But you also have to monitor because if it's really hot, you might need to increase your watering schedule because otherwise the, the water is evaporating too fast out of the soil. If your plants do get dried out, first off, Pick off the affected tomatoes, either scratch in the lime if you haven't done it already into the soil and water it in, or you can make up a foliar spray using about a tablespoon of calcium nitrate to a liter of water and spray it on the remaining tomatoes, not on the leaves, not on the stems, just on the tomatoes. And that will get the calcium right to the fruits. The other part of the question I believe was cracking. That is also caused by irregular water. Slowly water them until they are better rehydrated and then reestablish a regular watering program. Rick from Courtney is wondering, and I've seen this too, if coffee grounds that a lot of coffee shops offer can really help the soil, and if so, how much should you be adding to your garden and how often should you be adding it in? 
recycling coffee grounds is actually really, really good for your soil because it improves the soil composition and the soil structure. You can either apply it, just spread it on the top of the soil, not too thick, just spread it out on top of the soil and scratch it in lightly, or you can apply it and put a mulch or leaves over top. If you do not cover it or scratch it in, you could experience a situation like when you, when you use a very dry peat that the water is repelled. Same thing with coffee grounds. I know I've been asked before about, well, what about the acidity in coffee? It's not a problem because the acid in coffee actually leaches out in the perking process. So it goes into your coffee cup. It doesn't stay in the grounds. I couldn't find an exact recipe for adding the coffee grounds to the, the garden. So I just use my theory that it's better to be a little on the light side than too heavy. Sort of like when you're cooking, you just use a little salt and not too much. Otherwise, you'll ruin the recipe. Where coffee grounds, especially if you're getting them from coffee house or in a restaurant, recycle a good used material, best place to use it is in your compost because it's actually... By volume, coffee grounds are 2% nitrogen. So when you add it to your compost, it's got good carbon to nitrogen ratio, 20 to 1. And the recipe would be you would add a third coffee grounds, a third of grass clippings for extra nitrogen, and a third of leaves or anything carbon. So wood chips or shredded newspaper or cut up cardboard, anything like that. And the other good thing about coffee grounds, it's rumored, I have not tested this, it apparently slugs and snails don't like it. Maybe if anybody uses it and doesn't see any slug damage on their hostas, for instance, let me know. <laughs> CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry, content you can trust from Black Press Media. Kim from Courtney, she has a fairly shady yard, but she would like to grow a lilac tree. She was wondering, do they need a lot of sun and are they difficult to grow? Yes, lilac trees. <laughs> I've had not very good luck with lilac trees and I'll explain in a little bit, but lilac trees actually need roughly about six hours of direct sun a day. They can get by with less, but it affects the flowering and they don't like to be planted near trees where the sun will block the light from getting to them. My suggestion, if you're, you're not familiar with how much sun you get in your yard in specific areas is to watch whenever we have a sunny day and you can time it. Watch what areas of your yard get the most sun for the longest part of the day. And if you can, that would be the perfect sighting for your lilac tree. The French lilacs, the syringas are slow to flower. They're a time investment because they need about five or six years to mature to a flowering state. Thankfully, thanks to breeders, we have some smaller dwarf varieties available that flower in about two or three years after putting them in. Lilacs, however, and depending where you are in the valley, if you're in a subdivision, I'm not sure what your pH is. I know our pH naturally in our soil is acetic. We're clay out here in Black Creek. So when you go to plant your lilac, make sure you mix a little bit of lime in with your soil amendment and your fertilizer when you go to plant your tree. 
As for pruning, they should be pruned after flowering because they flower on old wood. So if you prune like you would an apple tree or another fruit tree in late winter, you'd be cutting off all the flower buds for this year and you'd get no display. Speaking of some pruning, we have a question from Jonathan in Comox who has a row of cedars in his yard instead of fencing like a lot of people do and wants to keep them thick and quite dense. He's wondering when is the best time to prune and fertilize those cedar trees? Well, that depends. First off, it would be good to know how old the cedar hedge is and whether he's attempted any pruning. I'm not, I'm assuming he hasn't. It also depends on the species when it comes to pruning. There are different cedar varieties available. So if they're Leylandii, which are the fastest growing cedars that I know of, where they can grow six feet in, in a year just about, you would need to prune those twice a year, pruning them a little bit each year. And that helps to fluff them up. The other thing that you need to watch out for is snow load on cedars. If you're not kept tightly or trimmed so that they are more tightly branched or even roped sometimes, in our wet snow, quite often you can get damage where the snow gets too heavy on a branch and it brings the branch down and either damages it or breaks it off completely. One question that we've received multiple times was about last summer's heat dome and how maybe if you have some tips or suggestions on how best to protect your garden from the sun and the high temperatures, especially if you can't get out to your garden every day or water it as frequently as you like. Do you have some tips or suggestions as to what people might be able to do? Yeah, and this is the question of the decade, I think, is with the heat that we're getting and are we going to keep getting these heat waves and heat domes every summer or even every other summer? It could possibly bring about big changes in our gardens. Some things that you can do now until we sort of know this trend is going to move forward for us. Mulch as much as you can. That helps to keep the water in the soil for as long as possible. Another good idea is to put in rain barrels and hook them up to your eaves trough so that if ever we do get rain, you're accumulating that rain. I mean, we have six or seven rain barrels around our house collecting rain and just the rain off the garage roof will fill a 45 gallon barrel in less than an hour, if it's a good rain. That is really good usable water. Shade your plants as much as possible. So that means setting up some kind of a screen if you can, or if you have tomato cages or peony rings or bamboo stakes, whatever you can rig up that you can throw a cloth over top, like remay, curtain shears, nylon netting, anything that will cut the direct sun a little bit. Plant some tall annuals, like sunflowers, for instance. Use those as a screen or do a bean teepee with your runner beans to protect some of the plants wherever you can. But if you're going to plant sunflowers, you got to think about planting for those now so that they're ready to go in for the summer. Long-term, those are short-term fixes. Long-term, we might be looking at, like Jonathan, planting a hedge where it's going to cut some of the sun on the hottest part of the, during the hottest part of the day. You may have to redesign your landscape and utilize more drought-tolerant plants, which stand a better chance of withstanding the heat and less water. The only problem with that is we are still mostly getting wet winters. And when you have drought tolerant plants, they don't like to be soaking wet in the wintertime. So it's sort of a, 
darned if you do and darned if you don't. But there's ways of covering over the drought tolerant plants to keep the water off them for the most part. Sounds pretty drastic about changing our landscape plan or design, but these are different times. And at the moment, we don't really know how long this is going to go on for. Is this with us forever? Or is this just a hiccup because Mother Earth is upset with us and she's just giving us a warning here. Better pay attention. Really appreciate all of your insight and your helpful tips. Thank you so much again for joining us. Oh, not a problem. Thanks, Erin. That's this edition of Off the Page, produced by the Comox Valley Record. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. Email us at offthepage at comoxvalleyrecord.com. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.